Well, g'day, mates. Welcome. Welcome to a new Guitar Wank. This is uh, Guitar Wank Extra, I guess we'll call it. Guitar Wank Extra or it's the Clayton's Guitar Wank. Guitar guitar Wank Podcast when you're not really having a Guitar Wank Podcast because there's no Bruce or Scott on this one. This is uh, a new uh, thing we're just going to throw up when we have extra material. And this one's me sitting down with the amazing Todd Sharp. If you don't know who he is, Google his name, damn it. Todd Sharp, T-O-D-D-S-H-A-R-P. I said H, yep. <laughs> S-H-A-R-P ToddSharpAmps.com Go there, check out his uh, the amazing amplifiers this guy makes um, Touring Touring world musician You know, played with Hall and & Oates And Fleetwood Mac uh, Rod Stewart You know, a bunch of high profile uh, gigs he did And then uh, Now resides in Nashville And was an amp repairer i believe in nashville and then he moved on to building his own amplifiers hence todd sharp amplifiers so the whole gamut and he's had a super interesting career uh great guy and his amplifiers are kicking ass they um you know guys like keith urban vince gill guthrie trap um i'm sure there's a ton of other players but just off the top of my head that's what i think of these guys using his gear if you get to play one of his amps yeah, check them out. They sound amazing. Just a fantastic sounding amplifier. So well built and well designed. And like all these guys we're talking about, I mean, you know, it's we talked to uh, John Sir the other night, who, which was fantastic. And we've got more episodes of that coming up. Uh, and we've also got Dr. Z of Dr. Z Amplification, who, um, who worked with Joe Walsh and Brad Paisley. Um, I'm going to keep saying we're going to hopefully get Reinhold Bogner. And like all these guys, they're all just super interesting, amazing stories. You know, the players that they've worked with and how they get their sound and what they think of building amplifiers and, you know, the whole gamut. So um, before I spend my hard-earned money, I wanted to check out as many of these boutique amplifiers as I can uh, to find out, you know, which one... I want, and um, I'm actually finding out that I want every one I've played so far. Oh my god, uh, I'm loving the the Jim Kelly amp that uh, John Sir let me borrow, and um, I'm dying to check out more of the Sir stuff. I've played the Todd Sharp stuff; it sounds incredible. I want one of them. Um, I know I'm going to want a Bogner and a Friedman, so uh, you know. But anyway, if you missed uh, John Sir, episode 70 was on uh, just last week, and then we've got more of John coming up. This one with Todd, it is a two-part. We'll do this one, and then we'll have the rest of it in the next coming weeks. But super interesting guy, great player, great songwriter, and then to make amplifiers. So he kind of covers the gamut, and um, definitely worth checking out. So... Without further delay, we'll get into it. This is just me and Todd sitting down and having a good old chat. And um, thank you again, Todd Sharp. Really appreciate it, mate. Love your stuff. And uh, if you're in Nashville, look him up and see if you can get to play some of his stuff. All right, guys. Uh, we will see you Monday for episode 71 on Guitar Wank. Remember, Father's Day is coming up. Mugs and T-shirts. It's a great idea. should do that. And uh, you can... 
find out everything else on guitarwank.com, but uh, check it out and uh, look out for the rest of these interviews coming up in the next couple of months. All right, here is uh, Mr. Todd Sharp. Welcome to Guitar Wank. This is a this is actually our first time we've done this with a, a, a player and an amp builder, which is kind of cool. And normally we have Scott and Bruce here, and Scott's uh, about ready to go on a world tour, so he's busy with that. And Bruce is busy teaching and and got other things on. So I'm uh, really privileged to have you on the couch, Todd Sharp. Can I lay down? You 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 the old way. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. This is very. Uh, off the cuff but um yeah i'm i'm super stoked i had no idea when when your people reached out to me and said hey would you be interested and i was like oh first of all really cool that an amp company reached out to us we thought that's great but um after i started researching your background it's like man you're a you're a serious player with an amazing career you've played with i mean so many of my heroes i mean you've you really, you got to do it at the highest level. I mean, that's, that's looking back, you must be like, does it all seem real at this point? Are you like, God, did that happen? Did I do that? Do you get those moments? Yeah, I guess so, because, uh, you know, once you get a few years on you and you've, you know, been around for a little while, you, you definitely get those moments. I mean, uh, I started playing when I was about 11. Yeah. You know, uh, just like everybody else in this country, the Beatles showed up and, and knocked me over the head. Uh, my folks were musicians. My father was a guitar player. Uh, and, 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 but, you know, it was the Beatles that really lit me up. The guitar was in the house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, music was always around. Uh, and so, and I just, you know, I tore it up. I was out, you know, I was playing gigs and playing in a band when I was 13. Wow. There was a couple other kids, you know, my age. We got a band together. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but, you know, I, my, my father took me up to a friend of his who had opened a music store and gave guitar lessons. A guy named Bill Durango, and this mm -hmm. is in Cleveland, Ohio, in about, I don't know, 66 or 67, I guess, 67. And Bill was a uh, rather accomplished bebop guitar player, had right. won the Downbeat Jazz Pole uh, Musician of the Year Award, I believe, in like 44, played with Dizzy, uh, Bud Powell, played with, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, Miles a little bit, wow. a lot of the guys in New York in the yeah. bebop era. And, and, and Bill had come back to Cleveland and, and he opened this store and it just became this kind of magnet and scene for guitar players around Cleveland, Ohio, when I grew up. Wow. It, and, and Bill was just a cool guy. was, you know, probably not a great businessman. Yeah. But here he had a music store. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the first things Bill did for me was he said, so, uh, you, know, you know, he just sort of looked at me one day and said, come on up here Thursday night at 6 o'clock. 
Yeah. A couple of guys I want you to meet. And he had a drummer and a bass player that were like my age that he, you know, somehow, and he, and he stuck us down in the basement where he had a kit and a couple of amps and cut us loose and said, wow, you know, work up some songs and I'll, and I'll start booking you guys. People call me all the time for, for bands to play at their parties or whatever. Yep. So uh, that's where I started to play. We had that band together for like, you know, about three years and we were like, you know, kids. Our, our moms huge. and dads were driving us to gigs, you know. <laughs> Eventually, we got a singer who had a car. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyways, uh, that's where I started playing. And and, uh, and your dad was, um, it, just to all the listeners out there, go to True Tone, because there's three-part video, and you go into detail right from the start all the way through, and it's, it's a really great great interview i really enjoyed it and learned so much about you but and we're going to try and do different stuff here today but i know she your dad was a huge django yeah nut and you talked a little bit about that i mean my dad was a guitarist is a guitarist as well and he grew up like the shadow he was a shadows nut and all that kind of stuff uh-huh. you know and as a kid i didn't even want to go near it and i didn't want to have guitar lessons off my dad it just right Learning off your dad just doesn't make it's sense. It's kind of that's sort of me too. Right. And it was Django. Yeah. So Django Reinhardt, the Hot Club of France, and Stephen Grappelli, and that was on the record player constantly to the point where it was like, ah, there it is again. <laughs> right. You know, those guys were always going. It was amazing, but it was you know I was trying to figure out Rolling Stones riffs. Yeah, it's annoying as shit back then. Well, it just was. It it was you know what. What dad, what dad was into. Yeah. And Does it, do you, even though I know you talked about like you didn't really get into Django as in learning stuff like that, do you feel like it did come out in your playing in any way, like just subconsciously? I don't know. But not so much Django because J- Django's a pretty unique. Yeah. You know, that's an amazing story. All, on its, right. all on, unto itself. It's, yeah. it's one that I, uh, to this day, I'm kind of amazed. Like, I think. When you mentioned the word, uh, when you mentioned Django Reinhardt to the guitar world, I think most people acknowledge, yeah, Django. Uh, but I, so I don't think what really has come across or is acknowledged is that in in my mind, Django was the first guitar god. <laughs> yeah. You know, as as we kind of like revere guitarists. Yeah. As like these you know singular instrumentalists who sort of really affect our lives with their music and in, in, in particular with a guitar until Django came along I, I don't think there's anybody there they're just what years what years I'm trying to think what so years th- I, I think was you know around. we're talking about uh I guess early 40s right I I, I think I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not you know but I think that's when the the hot club of France was really hitting it hard yeah and so you know, uh, you know, you had people like, uh, well, you maybe had classical guitar, you know, mm-hmm. just featured guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. But it was traditional, you know, classical music. Yeah. It was proper stuff, and the guitar was very featured in that music, which came from lute and all that. And then you had, I think, uh, some people before then here. Or around that era, like maybe uh, Eddie Lang and and uh, you know Carl Kress and or maybe George Van Epps and a few uh, American sort of jazz guitar players 
but Django was a different. Django was like Jimi Hendrix at yeah. the time. You know, he was he reinvented the instrument. He had uh, injured fingers. his left hand in a. He was in a fire. He was yeah. a gypsy. Yeah. And their trailer caravan had a, they had a caravan fire. These two fingers were welded together and deformed in the fire. He actually played with two fingers. Now, how was his playing? Was he, was he already? Did he reach those heights before that accident? I, I don't really know that. Right. I, I just, uh, you know, I heard so much of. My father was just an avid fan and a collector. Yeah. He kind of had every record. At one point, he had seventy eights. Is what he had. He had right. Like every side that ever had been recorded. Wow. And then he had tapes and demos that people and a few other people around the world did share. They're what they found. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything I heard was just you know it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, he, he appeared out of nowhere yeah. and, and burned up a fingerboard, and they were playing this kind of high energy French gypsy jazz uh, that was pretty unique in itself. You know, some of it got a little you know threatened to be maybe a, a tad corny if I dare say that right. word you can say it but really Django was very soulful he, yeah. he really had a tremendous soul that, that came through but but anyhow he, he was the first guitar hero man there was yeah. there wasn't any one guy you know maybe a few years later was Charlie Christian yeah who came out of the bebop era as a soloist a guitar player you know right because before then in in rock and roll I mean I mean in jazz uh, it, it was all either Proper, you know, big band, uh, dance band, Dixieland music. Yeah. And most of the kind of focal points of that music were singers, trumpet players. Yep. You know, maybe a saxophone player, maybe a piano player. Yeah. But no guitar players. It's not, not really. Not like that. Not until Django came around and kind of knocked the world on his ear. Yeah. And there's then a Charlie whole, Christian. And, there's such a and resurgence so of his, I mean, there's, there's whole groups of Django just banging yeah, and, clubs and, and, and plus he was a uh, you know he's quite a character it's quite a story yeah, yeah. you know he was a gypsy yeah. uh, and he couldn't be tied pinned down very well and you know probably didn't look after his career properly yeah. and that, that sort of stuff I mean and plus he was handsome as hell and you know he just he really was he was a rock and roll star he was a rock star <laughs> you look back at those old pictures of Django there's a ciggy hanging out of his mouth and it's he was like, he was getting plenty of tail. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, he may have he may have had it. Yeah, 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 he was doing bit. all right. Yeah, okay, man. So you you grew up doing that, and like I know, if, like I said, go to the True Tone and watch those videos because um, there's a lot of stuff you cover that probably won't cover here today, but it's it's really worth watching. I mean, you've played with, I mean, just I mean the Fleetwood Mac people, Rod uh, Rod Stewart. Yeah, Rod. Um, you worked with Clapton? I played with, with Jimmy Barnes. I played with uh, Hall was, and Oates. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hall and Oates, dude. Yeah. I get chills just saying that. That's just... And you were there when it all happened, when it blew up. Yeah. That's kind of a... Like, for me, especially to look back, and, you know, now with some perspective. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, when I was uh, probably still in high school, uh, they came to Cleveland and played in a club. Right. And I worked in a record store. So I was aware of them. And my, and, and my actually now sister-in-law uh, knew Daryl's girlfriend. Right. 
and she told me about them and said, you know, these guys, they're putting a record out and they're really good. And, and, uh, and so we got the record in the store and it was a very folky record. It was their first album. Anyhow, I, they, they came to town to play and I, I, I think I was playing downstairs. There was a club, a bar downstairs. Yeah, yeah. And they were playing upstairs in the Agora, this place in Cleveland. So I ran up there and I saw their set and I got backstage and I gave John a demo tape of my band. We, you know, we met, said hello to each other. We kind of had a mutual friend. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, then that was that. And about uh, a year later, I guess, I got a phone call from their manager who said, uh, Daryl and John are looking for a guitar player. Would you come to New York and audition? We're going to audition a whole bunch of people. You may not get the gig. You know? Right. So I, I said, okay, sure. And, uh, you know, I, they got a, I think they sent me the new record that was coming out, Learn These Five Songs. That's what we're going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, you know, at that point they were relatively unknown. They were just, they hadn't really broken anything yet. They were sort of already going through these different stages, right? Folky yeah. stuff, getting kind of R&B, Philly-like stuff with their uh-huh. second record. And anyhow, I, I went to New York and I auditioned for them, and it was a true cattle call. I mean, there was all kinds of guitar players in and out of SIR, and I thought, i I'm not going to get this gig, but I, right. really nice of them to uh, you know offer me the opportunity. Anyhow, they hired me. I was 18 at the time or 19. Wow, what was that call like? Well, it was it was uh, well. First, they called and said uh, I stayed in this hotel on Eighth Avenue. Yeah, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm going home. And they said, uh, well, we, we can't make up your uh, our minds between you and this other guy. Will you come back and play again tomorrow? So we did it again. Yeah. And then they said, okay, you got the gig. We're, and, and they had two gigs. They said, we're going to England in uh, like two weeks. Wow. And we got to rehearse our asses off and play a show. Yeah. Playing one concert. Apparently we have some fans there. Yeah. And we're playing one private show in a club in Ronnie Scott's in London just mm-hmm. for the, our new record company in all of Europe. Uh, RCA records they're all coming to just a private small intimate night wow so we played the show and uh, it was uh, that must mean you're you're 18 at this time right 75 so I was uh, 19 I guess I mean that must have been huge one to score a gig like that and then say all right our first gig we're going overseas yeah, that yeah, must have was, been a big deal, right? Oh, it was, you know, definitely a big deal. That's I mean, for the, oh, sure, man, it was exciting. It was pretty awesome. But but the even more exciting part was that, you know, we went to play this club and people would walk backstage before we went on. The record company guys and they were say like, Bowie's here, and you know, so and so is here, and the guys from Steely Dan are in town. They're all here. And, I'm, and, you know, they just kept coming back, and it was like, you know, every rock star I can think of is, well, half of them are here. And the, play, the gig was sold out at a, I don't remember the size of the theater, probably a couple thousand seats. Yeah. They, they definitely had some fans, and it was like England turned out, and they, to, to hear Hall and & Oates. And we walked out on stage, and we had a great show. Yeah. It was the first gig I ever played with them. 
And so, did did you going back to rehearsals? Were you rehearsing a lot? You guys full rehearsals with each other and. Well, we, yeah, I mean, we locked ourselves in a rehearsal studio for, I think, 10 solid days and right. worked on it pretty yeah, so hard. So you had, you guys had your shit down. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we had really <laughs> done. I'll well, tell you as what, much as you can. They had it down. Right. Okay. And I think I was the new guitar player and they had a, and a new keyboard player, I believe. Yeah. So they, they were breaking in two new guys. They kind of had a, a rhythm section already. And, uh. Yeah, you know, we we shedded pretty hard. Yeah, we went to play. It was first show I played with them, uh, and so pretty much the next morning, they were on the cover of all the music trades in England. You know, Melody Maker and New New Music Express and a couple others I can't remember. But yeah, it was this thing. It was just like uh, they just exploded. Wow. You know, and. Uh, and then from there we went, you know, we went home, and then they booked a tour in the U.S. and Sarah Smile started to get on the air. So they had their their first big hit. Yeah. And it all. So I just kind of stepped uh, through into the door at just the right time. You know, it was it was pretty what awesome, amazing. especially for a 19 year old. You know, I, I played in their band for a couple of years, right when they just went like this. Yeah. And we had nothing but a ball, and you Did, know, were you guys constantly just on the road with them? We we toured a lot. Yeah. And of course, this it was, was worldwide. A, that was all over the world at that uh, point. Or was it, no? it was mostly in the U.S. And but we did go to Europe. We did, you know, we did a, a, another tour of the U.K. right mm-hmm. away. Yeah. We did a European tour. Did a lot of European television. Um, but it, 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 you know, it was an exciting time for them, and it was uh, exciting for me to be right in that. Yeah. And you know, I, I also got to say that those guys, you know. Uh, surely I had very little to do with it except I got to play with them. Yeah. And uh, they were amazingly talented. Yeah. As soon as I walked in the room and, and kind of we played the first song, I went like, holy shit, these guys are like, I, I don't, I've never worked with anybody. This, this, wow. They sing, re- they sang really great together. Yeah. They had these great songs. They were great writers. They were great singers. They really knew what they were doing. They were not screwing around. Yeah. You know what I mean? They had a real tight focus about where they wanted to get to, and 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 you know they were, yeah. they were on it, and wow. uh, it was like a, a, another level for me to you know I'd been playing in blues bands and bars in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah, yeah. which was fine, you know, it was cool, but it was a very you know it was all about the bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What was what was the pay for something like that back then? Was it uh, it was shit? Was it really? <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, I mean, they were, I remember so. Uh, I went into the office of Tommy Matola, <laughs> who was yep. at that time a uh, song plugger for Chapel Music in New York wow. City. I mean, Tommy had a cubicle on in Chapel. He was yep. young. He was twenty something. Yeah. Daryl and John were twenty something, and you know he was their manager, and and uh, I I don't remember what you know he probably uh, it was for me it was fine. I mean, you know, I think he said we we can pay you 175 a week, and you you and David are going to split a room, and you get nine dollars a day <laughs> per diem to eat right, on it. And yeah. I said, I'll take it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right, right. When do we leave? What else am I going to do? Right? Yeah. It's just, and wow, what an experience. I mean, and of course, Tommy Matola went on from there to, you know, become like one of the music mogul giants. Moguls. I mean, 
I don't know where he is today, but wasn't you know, he married to Mariah Carey he, for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. Eventually married Mariah Carey, and he, you know, he ran the freaking music business for an era. Crazy man. I mean, you have, you've been part of that whole scene, you know. Just so kind of a cool cap to that story, yeah. right? Forty years later, I've I hate to admit that much time later, right? Uh, I've, you know, I went on, Daryl and John moved on. They wanted to get some different guys in their band. So they let me go after a couple of years and I went on to do lots of other stuff. But, uh, John sends me, you know, who I haven't really talked to. I mean, maybe I bumped into those guys occasionally right. at a festival backstage with, yeah. you know, uh, so he sends me this four record set that came out a few years ago of, of their career. Mm -hmm. And it starts from their beginning uh, through, you know, whatever. And there's a nice booklet. And there's a little story with every song. And on disc one, and he signs it. And he says, Todd, you played your ass off, you know, John. And he sends it to me. And I go, oh, that's cool, you know. Because I never recorded anything with him. I yeah. was, you know, this young kid, really. Yeah, yeah. And they had a brilliant producer who played brilliant guitar and you know he did their records uh and on the first disc is five or six tracks live recorded at the new victoria theater in october of 1975 yeah yeah and i kind of just went like wow I, that's the first time i ever played with those guys that was the show wow. we played i didn't re even recall it being recorded if you know what i mean it was just like so it was a really kind of cool, yeah, how, you know, thing how, to. Did, and how it was, was pretty listen, good too. How, how you, you listen to it? You remember? Did it take you back? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh man, what did you think of the playing? Critiquing the playing? Uh, that's always hard for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I was 19. I was kind of like, you know, yeah, trying to do everything I could think of, <laughs> every, every lick I, you know. I was throwing everything I had into every opportunity to play a solo. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Check me out. <laughs> yeah. So, looking looking back at yourself then, at that nineteen year old kid, were you, you know, and a lot of younger guys are like uh, cocky. I want to show everyone off, and a little bit like that. You had a, had a little of that swagger going on. I don't know. I guess so. I yeah. guess so. More yeah. than any, anything, when I hear it, I just what I hear is is a you know a, a young. Uh, kid, yeah, uh, trying to play everything he knows, yeah, you, you know, yeah. uh, not having the. I, I had some chops, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was good, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, I didn't have the sort of uh, experience yet, yeah, to yeah. kind of how would I fit into this song, yeah, without, uh, you know, in, in, to have the right, you know introduce the right character that will fit within the song at the same time this is 1975 and right. i think that uh, i don't know no one i knew i i didn't grow come up that way it was like we jam yeah you yeah. know here we go <laughs> somebody counted off yeah and and we go for it and i went for it and they looked at me and said you're good you want to join our band and i said yeah and we and we jammed yeah you know, they liked the way I played, and we uh, they let me play a lot. I, so, I, obviously, you listened. You were a listening player, too. You oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still, you know, when I hear the things from that long ago, I always kind of go, 
you know, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to... It's a young Todd. Hear your own... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not, not a whole lot of uh, 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 maturity yet. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of going for it. And what were you... Pl- do you remember what you were playing back then? What gear? Oh, yeah, I had an SG. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, when they said, okay, you got the gig, I took a flight home, I got my stuff... And I brought it back to New York. Yeah. So I came up to New York with my SG and a 100-watt Marshall and a 412 cabinet, which is what I had. Right. And we did about one and a half rehearsals, and I sort of went, this, isn't, this is not the right rig for this band. I, I, you know what I mean? Right away. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Music Man amps had That's just right. come out. Yeah. And John and I, as I recall... You know, got in a car and went out to Long Island. I think it was Sam Ash Music. It was probably their first and only store at the time. Wow. And we bought two Music Man amps. They had master volumes on them. Yeah. You could kind of tweet. It was like, you know, that was revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyhow, uh, I was playing on an SG and a Marshall, but the Marshall was not quite Hall & Oates. Yeah. And quite fit. Yeah. Uh, So So the Music Man definitely was Me and John got Music Man amps. Yeah. And I played the SG with through a music man. Albert, when Albert Lee was here, he was talking about, yeah, he just was buying up music mans when he, yeah. They're pretty cool amps, actually. Yeah. They, they remain pretty cool amps. Yeah. They, have the, how do they differ from, say, the Fender stuff? Well, you know, technically, the, the first amps had a solid-state front end and a tube output stage. Oh, okay. Which was different. Yeah. And the master volume was revolutionary. Yeah. So you could actually dial in some gain. Uh, the whole front end of the amp is, is a different feel and all that. It, it just, uh, it's, it's uh, it, so it doesn't have that Fender feel, you know, that sort of uh, like that blackface classic kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I, I think at the time, more than anything, they were, they were more versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, because in, in, until then, you know, we, we were like, gosh, I was, uh, I would turn my amp around and face it toward the back of the wall. I'd throw blankets over the speakers, <laughs> you know. There were a few uh, fuzz pedals out. Yeah. But they, most of them sounded like shit. I, I never could get a pedal. Uh, and then this Music Man amp came out and you could sort of like dial some stuff up and go, oh, you know wow. what? That's, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Wow, you know they're, they're little, uh, they kind of have this character. I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah. Those first uh, amps, you yeah, know. yeah. Um, they have a sound, and uh, they can be. Uh, you can work with that amp. But some guys still do, like yeah. uh, like Albert, and uh, I know a couple other guys in Nashville that still love Music Man amps. Yeah, they still go for it. Yeah. Um. I'm. And then after that, you, you went, was it McPhee? Or? Well, so after that, I moved to California. moved out here right. in 76. What was the reason for moving out here? Just done with it on the East Coast? Or? Well, I, yeah, I had been living in New York, and I lost my gig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know anybody in New York, except for the guys I was working with. And we toured all the time. Yeah, yeah. So hanging out in New York without a job, and when you don't know anybody, works for about a month. Yeah. And then you go... I got to get out of here. This place moves too fast. Yeah. And I'm, uh, and you know, it's pretty weird. So I figured Los Angeles, we know there's a lot going on in Los Angeles and a lot easier place to, uh, 
to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> did you know? Did you know a bunch of people out here? Was it just? I a really cold... did, and I, I I knew I think a couple people I'd met from the touring we'd done. Yeah. And uh, so I came out here and. Uh, I hooked up with Bob Welch. You know, I, I was just doing whatever I could do, knocking on doors. Yeah. And did a couple of sessions, nothing of note really. And then I got a call from Bob Welch's office, who what, used to be in Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, on my answering machine, which was a brand new device at that time. Yeah. And I thought it was Bob Weir. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all a big confusion thing. You yep. know, they, it was the message was kind of like, "This is what from Bob Weir's office, and your audition is at SIR Studio at five p.m. tonight." Yeah, we haven't heard back from you yet, or something. So I called the number, and I and I said, well, "I don't, I don't know anything about this." Yeah, I didn't even know Bob Weir had a solo career, and I and I'm thinking, and I'm not a Grateful Dead. I've never really been a Grateful Dead yeah, kind of fan, yeah, even. Yeah. It's not my thing. And so they said it was Bob Welch. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Bob Welch. There you go. He's, you know, okay, cool, because I, I, have, I have all the Fleetwood Mac records. I was always a big Fleetwood Mac fan. Yeah. And, you know, from Peter Green through Bob Welch and Christine and Danny Kerwan, and, you know, I had all the records. And, and so it was a similar thing. They said, well, you're on at 5 o'clock. Man, go get the record and <laughs> learn a couple of songs wow. and show up. So I ran down to SIR. Um, now, back in those days, because I know when I've done gigs at that SIR and, they, you know, it's always a big deal about learning, well, learning the tunes, but what gear to bring to the to yeah. the, to the auditions. What were you... I brought my SG, yep. and I have no idea right. what, what... But it wasn't like a pedal thing back then, right? It was, that wasn't as... Hell no, man. No. It, it, it just wasn't quite... Uh, that wasn't really a thing then, was it? It was really more uh, mercenary, like, can you play <laughs> or can you not play? Right, you and know? you'll quickly find, people find out. I think it, there was, it was just kind of like, there'll be an amp there. Yeah. And I don't remember what it was. I just showed up, I walked in the door, Bob was standing there with a bass on, mm -hmm. and Mick Fleetwood was sitting there behind the drums. Wow. And I kind of went, that's fucking Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> And because so I'd cool. always dug Mick Fleetwood, yeah, he was already like a big hero of mine. Yeah, because Fleetwood Mac had, you know, just maybe a year before then, mm -hmm. become this mega band. Yeah, and I always thought like, you know, those guys have really hung in there, man. They, and you know, Mick and John have, they've never given up. They, they get these different people, and they keep plugging away, and then they hooked up with, you know, they kept Christine. And they got this California Lindsay and Stevie, yeah. and boom! And they, yeah. you know, they were this huge. So this was just after that. Or? Just after that, right? Okay. And Mick was helping Bob. Okay. And he was managing him. Wow. And helping him to put a band together. So he had a drum kit. Yeah. We didn't have a drummer yet. I, they started with the guitar player, I guess. So Mick was playing. Mick was playing. Bob was playing bass. And we jammed, and it went brilliantly, and they were great guys, yeah. and I loved them. And they said, yeah, man, you're, you're hired. So I started to work with Bob, and we put a band together, and we toured a lot. Um, and uh, uh, gosh, I, I don't know. I did all kinds of stuff here in town. 
worked with a great guy named Danny Duma, mm -hmm. made a record with him. And then uh, worked with Randy Meisner for a little while. Randy, yeah. Uh, was that before, that would have been after the Eagles? Or well, it was right after he left the Eagles. Right, yeah. And uh, did a tour with him in Japan. Uh, and just started doing all kinds of gigs around town and getting session work and, mm -hmm. and do, starting to do some TV and stuff. Because I was studying pretty hard. I was trying to be a good reader and all that oh, wow. in those days. Yeah. Now, talk about practicing and how do you practice or how did you practice? What was, what was your... Did you have a game plan with that? Were you buying books? Were you getting lessons? What, what were you doing back then? Well... I think first and foremost, I was listening to records. Yeah. You know, I was and, copying and records. Copying records. I definitely was buying books. Yeah. That was one of the things that my father really was pushing me, you know, get your shit together, you know. Yeah. Learn how to read. He, you know, he was very practical. Really? Because that's you can, rare. If you could read and, yeah. be a good, and play the way you play, yeah. you'll never be wanting for work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was right. Like, guitar players are notoriously awful yeah. readers we're, we're we're knuckleheads yeah right i'm kind of an awful reader today but you know but it's, back it's only because i don't do it i guess were you were you getting good at sight reading or you could just you could get a your, little bit yeah okay and uh but you know i i, I think uh, mostly i was listening to records yeah and and trying to you know emulate guitar players and, and i had gotten into you know freddie king and albert and of course clapton and hendrix and yeah. jeff beck and Lonnie Mack and gosh, just tons of stuff. Chuck right. Berry. Now, but, were you were you one of those guys that would listen to albums and and learn the whole album or learn the songs, or were you just like, I'm going to grab that, I'm going to pick that, like, you know? I think I honed into players. Okay. Yeah, I learned every note on Eric Clapton uh, with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Yeah. I used yeah. to be able. I used to sit there and play the whole damn album. Really? Yeah. You know, headphones. Wow. I'm sure I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Same yeah. thing with Freddie King. Yeah. Uh, Hendrix. Uh, so I, I guess it was the players. Yeah. And now, then, you know, I, I, and then I was, you know, expanding, learning. You know, I, I copied all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, I got into some of the bebop stuff a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, even Benny Goodman, I thought, yeah. had some great melodic stuff going on. Yeah. You know. Stuff that I'd heard around my, my house, you know, yeah. And you, my folks. you sing as well, right? Yeah. Now, where did that come from? Was that out of necessity or was that a passion you had for music it's as well? definitely out of necessity. Yeah. I, I, I still today don't really think of myself as a singer. Yeah. I've, I've sort of, uh, you know, I sing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after some time I started to, to try and write songs and and uh, you know if you're gonna do that then you start singing and I, and I could sing yeah. you know yeah but I never had the like natural chops or ability like you know like I did as a guitar player when I started to play guitar my I just remember my father walking in the room I was playing his guitar and went oh gosh well you got this <laughs> you know he's like this kid's a natural wow and uh, that's when he took me up to his friend because he kind of knew that, you know, yeah. I'm his father. He's not going to want me to yeah, right. show him shit. I, I'm going to take him to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But I just, you know, I could play guitar as soon as I started to play. Yeah, yeah. It, was it a something that but you I, sat but down? But I couldn't sing. 
at all when I tried to sing. Right. I was a pretty terrible that, singer, and that, I, I couldn't, it, nothing came natural to me. I, it, I took lessons to try and figure out how to breathe and yeah. try and get over, a, you know, in front of a loud guitar amp and sing was like, I'd, I'd blow my shit out and yeah. two songs and, you know, I, I'm writing songs, I'm trying to figure out how to deliver them. So the singing was nat- never natural, but I worked on it. Right. To yeah. become a, yeah, okay, singer. You could you could hold you could hold your own when uh, yeah yeah you know, um, when you're playing guitar, was it one of those things when you're starting off? You just lived on guitar. It was just you know you were doing the eight nine hours a day or whatever. You just pretty much yeah yeah yeah. It was uh, yeah yeah. There was a period of my life when I was a kid, and uh, you know it was part of the period of that era. It was part of I think where I grew up. Yeah. You know, uh, there wasn't, uh, Cleveland, Ohio was not a a place I would characterize as fun town, <laughs> you know. Right. There was, you know, a lot of very cold, very gray winters, and then the summer would come, and, you know, you might have 20 days of sunshine during yeah. that. And, wow. You know, just, it was just sort of a, kind of a rougher town. Yeah. There was nothing going on. It was all going on in bars. Mm. It was a very blue-collar town back yeah. in those days. And, and all the music and everything happened in bars. Yeah. Uh, although there were some, cl- you know, hullabaloo clubs that were, you know, that served it's, soft drinks for kids. Who's, what, what, I'm just zoning on what bands come from. Does Kiss come from Cleveland? No. Well, a few bands that, that you'd know. The James Gang. Right. James the Raspberries. Yeah. Eric Carmen. Yeah, uh, and and through that area, uh, you know, the McCoys were Ohio mm-hmm. guys, and uh, Rick Derringer. Yeah, uh, but may, you know, the, and those are mainly the, the the better known, the outsiders. Mm-hmm. They had a big hit called "Time Won't Let Me" that you still hear on the radio. Yeah, uh, Cleveland was more of a kind of a, a horn band R and B, you know, bar bands. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. Everything is happening in bars. bars. So when you were listening to Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and Freddie King, it was more like I was, you know, we're we're woodshedding here in the house with headphones. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, for years and years. Wow. That's it. Kind of amazes me because where I grew up, it was the reason why music became such a force with me. It was well, my dad played as a musician, but my guitar teacher. And then I kind of was introduced, well, I, if I got good, I could do this as a career. But outside of that, it was never even thought of that I just, that, that never come up. You got a trade and you went off and become mm-hmm. a carpenter or whatever you did, you know. So. And I guess in my case, it was, and, and this is where my father really was kind of instrumental. He would push me into gigs. Mm-hmm. So I remember, so, because he was a, a you know, professional player and a working musician and, and a kind of an all-around player. Yeah. He's really a jazz, great chords, you know, kind of Freddie Green style. Yeah, guy. yeah. And uh, so he would do gigs, and one time he got a call. He played with this orchestra, mm-hmm. the L. Russ Orchestra. Al was a great guy, too, who helped me a lot. So Al called my dad and said, we're going to do classical gas. We need to do that. Because it was a big hit. Yeah. And my father said, well, I can't play that, but my son can play that. So, unbeknownst to me, and then he comes home and says, 
you're going to play classical gas like next week at the <laughs> concert. We're doing two concerts with Al's orchestra. Right. It's like a 20-piece orchestra. And uh, with, you know, so I said, well, I don't even, I can't play that. I don't know it. He goes, well, you can learn it. And re rehearsal's Wednesday and the show Saturday. I was 12. Wow. That was my first gig. Uh, I, I have the program. <laughs> what the hell kind of pressure is so, that? Well, yeah, exactly. So my father was kind of smart enough to just, that he was always kind of doing that to me. Wow. Every that, once in a while he'd get a call. Uh, you know, Broadway shows would come through Cleveland. Yeah. Legit performers would come through and hire local musicians. They'd usually carry a drummer, yeah. and a piano player, band leader, hire locals. Yeah. Uh, same thing with touring show productions. Uh and uh, Grease came through, and he threw that one to me. He was like, oh, that's just Chuck Berry. You can do that in your sleep. <laughs> uh, and then he got a call for a Doug Henning's Magic Show. Yeah. And he said, uh, I can't do it. It was a month. And it was like 10 shows a week for a month. I had yeah. a month run in downtown. And the orchestra director called me they had been in somewhere else cincinnati and they were coming to cleveland and he said can you read because we're having a little trouble with guitar players in the book it's a mm -hmm. tough book and i said yeah you know because i was working on reading and he said well i'll tell you what i'm going to send you the book yeah like four days before we get there for the first rehearsal and i got the book and it was to this day the most difficult stuff I've ever seen in my life. Oh, wow. It was uh, a lot of cued, it was a magic show, mm -hmm. right? With pretty interesting music, very interesting music. Yeah. I think it was Stephen Sondheim wrote it, and, you know, it was uh, it was intense. Yeah. And there were uh, time changes and key changes, and things were written in C sharp and, you know, <laughs> A flat. And, and it would it literally Nine. change key and time signatures and then you'd just there'd be just open measures where it was written and the conductor would be pointing to you because there was someone on stage doing something and right like, oh. and then the guitar slide comes out and you do the whoop and you know it was like wow jesus so when i think back at that those were the things you know my father used to say because when i looked at the book i i just went like i i could never you know you have to do this. I can't do this. Rehearsal's Wednesday. Yeah. You know? He was like, yeah, you, you got some homework to do. <laughs> and I showed, I just remember the first rehearsal. I don't think I slept for three days. Wow. And I showed up and, uh, you know, we got through the rehearsal and, uh, you know, the musicians, when they, when they do this. Yeah. Because there were string players and everything. That's their applause. So I was, you know, I was kind of, I was reading the shit. I, I, I kind of had memorized half of it. Right. Or I kind of like knew like, this is the tough stuff and you make all these notes and, yeah. you know, like this. Uh, I, anyhow, uh, I, I, I learned most of what I do just jumping straight into the fire. Were you, what about nerves and stuff like that? Were you good at obviously handling? Took a lot of drugs to get over that. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I I don't know. I think that uh, I I don't I, I don't know how to answer that except that it, it, most things I, I I often found myself in in situations that I thought you know felt like 
geez, they might find out that I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing here. Right. And, it, and you know, 90% of that is, is in your own head. Yeah. Because yeah. usually, you know, you just if you show up and, you know, do your best and do your homework, you're going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. And it's really true. I, I must say that I've, I, I, you know, I've gotten fired from a few gigs. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> mostly I've been okay with that and, and always have tried to be well prepared. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, uh, there's a couple of gigs I auditioned for that I never got, but that's that okay. was that with Nymex or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. one was share uh, oh okay yeah, in the eighties yeah. wow and I needed a gig I was broke I was <laughs> nothing was happening my album didn't sell you know it was yeah. like oh fuck share share okay yeah and that's probably why I didn't get the gig you know right. I ran down there and plugged in and they went just... you're great. You're not the right guy for this, man. Right. Yeah. You're right. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but anyhow, what was I going to say? I've, it, and I've been in so many bands where you know you're auditioning drummers. Yeah. And you see these great drummers come in, and they play great, but they really haven't learned the. Usually, if you're going to audition for something, somebody's going to throw you four or five songs, mm-hmm. and it's going to be like, "Come in, we're going to play these songs because yep. that's how we're going to know if you can do this." Yeah. And so when people would come in and they really, they were great. And, you know, known players, some of yeah. them. But they didn't learn the songs. And you just kind of go, well, <clears throat> okay, so you're not getting the gig. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, uh, I don't know. Did you, did you find, I, I mean, all the stuff you've done and all the different outfits and different people you played with, the hang is such a huge, a big part of it. Like being able to, you, you could be a great player and you could be a monster on stage, but if you can't hang, yeah, that was sure. a big part of it. Well, yeah. I think it's a part I of mean, it. I mean, you've got to be a likable guy, In, right? It, it, certainly, if, if we're talking about rock and roll, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, you know, if we're talking about, you know, second guitar chair in Melissa Manchester's Las Vegas production yeah. I, I don't know i think if you can read the book yeah you'll probably get the gig yeah but no when you you know otherwise touring on the road sure you know yeah. i th- i think that's yeah you're always kind of going uh you know can i be on a bus with this guy yeah for yeah. you know and back then i imagine well i would hope that you you guys partied pretty hard as much as the legend i never did <laughs> the other pretty guys straight did. the other guys did i right I, you, I, you kept it pretty clean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um rod stewart that would have been a killer gig to play with rod yeah it was it was fun it was a blast i mean what a vocalist it, it, absolutely and, and you know and another you know i i, I always feel really lucky because i've really gotten to work with people particularly these british people that you know when i grew up you know i i have uh where did i first hear uh jeff beck's truth album mm-hmm. i guess yeah and you know and then i worked in a record store i had all the records you know wow. i have gasoline alley in my collection and, mm-hmm. and every picture tells a story i have all the faces records yeah uh small faces and, yep. you know i worked with ian mclagan for a little while and rod christine miffy mcfleetwood yeah. you know people that are my heroes and uh steve winwood uh, just for a little project i got to work with him but uh uh so 
I when I f played with Hall and Oates, I I made a friend in New York. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. Yeah. But there was one cat I used to hang with once in a while named Carmine Rojas, mm -hmm. bass player. At that, you know, when I joined Rod's band, Carmine was Rod's musical director. Right. So when I met Carmine, we were you know, nineteen and twenty, in New York. He was playing bass with LaBelle. He had big fro. <laughs> And they in a in a nickname they called him Pee Wee. Yeah, so he was Pee Wee. Uh, and we used to hang out, and uh, so I've known Carmine that long. And then he called me one day. Uh, I had been playing with David Crosby. I was going to tour with him, and we were doing some gigs locally. Mm -hmm. And Carmine was at one of them. And he came back and said hello. And then he called me and said, uh, "Hey, do you want to play with Rod?" And I said. I guess so. Yeah. Um, what you know? What? When? How? Where? Yeah. And he said, "Well, this is like a year-long tour." Wow. And you know, so and you know, so, which is nice, mm -hmm. uh, and good money, and 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 it's Rod Stewart. Yeah. You know, who's a hero of mine? And what what year is this? This was '89. Okay, so he's killing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I said, "Okay, yeah." What What's the deal? He said, "You know, here I'm going to send you a set list." And you know, Rod Stewart, you you already kind of know most of the songs, yeah. or a lot of them, yeah. except maybe the brand new ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he said, rehearsal starts the twenty sixth, and then we go to South America. You know, right? And I said, okay, uh, well, what? So wh <clears throat> when's do I? Is there an audition or what? And he said, no, we're it's just your gig. You got it. We're getting you, and we're getting Steve Ferris. Who had been in Mister Mister Mister? Yeah, yeah. And I said, "Well, okay. What if Rod doesn't like me, man? How's that going to work?" <laughs> he said, "Well, he'll fire you then. Yeah. You know, you'll be gone." So anyhow, that's how that went. And wow. I showed up at rehearsal with you know learned thirty songs, and uh, you know half of which I really already knew. Yeah, I certainly knew how they went, and we rehearsed without Rod. Right for like maybe eight days or something like that. Now, back then, he, yeah, he had backup vocalists and all that kind of stuff going on then? I don't think we did have backup vocalists, right. but we had three horn players and a rock and roll band. Okay. Great yeah. band. Yeah. Great uh, great outfit, you know. And we just, you know, we just sat in and chugged it real real good, you know. Um, and, um, and so Rod comes in maybe the second to last rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't sing. He just comes in and he just kind of hangs out and he's listening, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, this is different. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, I, I, I yeah. like the way you play the shuffle, mate, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I always <laughs> like the way you sing. You know? Yeah, right. He goes, do you sing? And I said, yeah, uh, yeah, I sing. He goes, do you think you're going to learn the harmony to this? You know, he names a couple songs. And I yeah. said, okay. And then... Uh, he comes to the last rehearsal before we go to open a tour in South America for like a month. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he, he still didn't sing. He may have sang a little bit. Wow. And, we, and then he, uh, we opened in Brazil at a soccer stadium, like 90,000 people. Jeez. And we're getting ready to go on. And, and I said, hey, do you want to go over that thing <laughs> we're going to sing? And I learned the harmony to uh, whatever it was. You know, Some guys have all the luck or yep. something. And he goes, ah, we'll just do it on stage. 
<laughs> and I thought, okay, here this we is going to be cool. Here we go. Yeah. And that's how playing with Rod always was. Wow. He, I think Rod was, he's old school. He was really like, well, you're good. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. You're going to be fine. You know, you, you know, you don't have to learn my records note for note. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of signature licks you're going to grab, yeah. of course. Yeah. But he was kind of like, no, you play the guitar, do your thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rod was, uh, you know, kind of a, a different, he had a different way about him. And, and I dug it. At first, I kind of went, I don't get it. Right. I, you know, I was really like, we, we should be great, you know. Yeah. We should really, like, work on our shit and be yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, there's one thing Rod kind of taught me after a little while. It was kind of like, no, oh, man, the, this is a show. When Rod Stewart walks out on the stage, the audience goes apeshit. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, this is a right. party. This is a party. Have yeah. some fun. Yeah. If you're not playing it perfectly... Or if your sound isn't nailed, yeah, it don't matter. You're the only person who's worrying about that shit. It's, it's it really all, has very little to do with what's actually happening up yeah, here. Yeah, it's all vibe and yeah. and let's have a f and, and let's put on a great show for these people. Yeah, and that's what Rod does. Would he interact with you guys a lot? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean he really was. It was really kind of like go. Sometimes yeah. he'd say play. You know, every once in a while, you know, it's like yours. This is your thing and. Why don't you stretch out on this song? Yeah. I think there was a song called Lost in You. Mm -hmm. You take that. Because I'm going to be like changing my clothes. I'm going to take a piss for during <laughs> this and I'm going to change my clothes. Yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while, he was like, he just wouldn't come back. <laughs> and it'd be like, you'd be up there like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Where is he? And you look at Carmine and go, keep going, stretch it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, hey, you know, Rod was like that. He'd, sometimes we'd start a song and he'd kind of go like, ah! He'd stop the band. I love, see, I love in that. In the middle of a, you know, like there's 18,000 people in a sold out thing. Yeah. And he'd go, ah, wait a minute, let's not do this song. Yeah. He, I, I got a sense that he brought the pub to the stadium. Yes. Right? Yeah, he yeah. sure did. Yeah. And, and, and but, but a whole other level of, you know, the, the cat is a, is a real world-class entertainer yeah and yeah. uh you know that, it was always a thrill to to kind of stand next to him on stage yeah and and don't stand too close to him by the way be careful because he swings a fucking microphone stand <laughs> and i'm seriously it'd wow be like some nights it'd be like wow and go, oh <laughs> shit <laughs> man I'm like whoa i'll just get over here okay yeah. i get it i get yeah. it stay out of your way I'll, yeah I'll, definitely now, I've noticed some of the performers I've played with, there's definitely, there's a line that you, you can't cross. And, you know, and they are, it's, it's all about them and there's an ego and you, you better not. How was Rod with that? Was he, or didn't, didn't exist or it? I, I, you know, I can't even uh, quite equate that to Rod. Maybe, right. maybe you know with some others or I, I don't know I think I've kind of been lucky not to yeah you know I, I haven't worked with too many assholes yeah I've that's been pretty lucky awesome. to work with pretty cool people yeah and you know I, I, for me it's more like there's the the folks who are like ultra rehearsed you know to the people who are like we kind of got this we'll work the rest of it out on stage yeah. once we get a few gigs under our belt what do you prefer 
I prefer the let's get on stage and we'll work it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a good blend of, you know, uh, you don't want to go on stage and not have your shit together. Yeah. You still have your shit together, but it's not so rehearsed that it's losing. It's starting to pull, pull back a little bit. Well, because, you know, when you get out, you know, like most rock and roll that I've done, you, you go on tour. Yeah. You're sort of like, you, you join this vagabond traveling collection of, you know, anywhere from 18 to 80 people. Yeah, yeah. And you're out there for maybe three months, maybe six months. There's a little break here and there. The longest I ever been out was with Rod, thirteen months. Thirteen with, months with a few breaks. Fuck. So you can get to where you forget how to play when you're like that. Yeah. It's like, and you pick up a guitar, and you know, you just the only thing you can do is go. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I don't know how to play anything else anymore. Right. Except the intro to Maggie May and uh, I don't know. Does know. It, I mean, I know when I, the short amount of time that I toured and got to do that, like just waking up in different cities and hotels and it really starts to become a blur and it really messes with your mind. I mean, I can't even imagine 13 months. What was it like coming back home after that? It's, well, that's, you know, that's a good question. And it's, I think it's something that you... you you and your family tune into yeah i've been really lucky i've been married for 37 years wow she's 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 a good woman yeah and and i think uh you know it's been difficult yeah but it's also been uh something that you kind of like you learn to work into your marriage and your life and you know absence makes the heart grow fonder and uh you know, it, it it is kind of difficult. There's mm. uh, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a musician, you, you know, you you're gonna you're gonna adapt to this way of life, or or you're gonna get out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I guess. I, I meet a lot of guys that roadies too that are on the road and they just don't know how to do anything else, and they come back and just that's that's a nightmare for them. That's too much to handle. Is Back to reality. There, yeah, it is kind of back to reality. And, and that's scary. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it depends who you are. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it, I, I certainly had some years where I was, you know, was out there. Yeah. And see, the road, uh, you know, allows you to live in this bubble yeah. of, you know, you can drink too much, you can party too much, you can be a complete idiot. Yeah. As you get on stage, man, you know... I don't think most of that shit flies anymore. Yeah. It just doesn't. No. Because I don't think anybody in the world is... Well, everyone's got a camera now, so yeah, everyone knows what you're doing. <laughs> right. right. But, I mean, I just think that, you know, you can't be a, a screw-up anymore no. in, in rock and roll. Yeah. It used to be... Used you know, to be cool. Kind of written into the into the DNA of yeah. it, right? But, yeah. uh, but other than that, even if you're not, you know, out of control with... with you know, substance or, or whatever else it is, you yeah. know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, when you are out there living on a bus and really, you know, you, you know, you get into this groove because that's, that's really how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to a different city every day. Maybe it's a cool 
travel scene or maybe it's rough. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're flying commercial airlines every other day yeah. and, and all you really do is get in and out of vans. Yeah. Check into a hotel and check out of a hotel. Get back in the van, go to sound check, get out of the van, go do a sound check, try and get something to eat, play a show, get into the van, go back to the hotel, get up the next morning, do the same shit all over again. For 90 minutes, you get to go out and play. play. And, and there's, the cool, there's the great stuff. Yeah. The rest of it's like, Oh man, we got to get up at six thirty tomorrow yeah. to catch a nine a.m. Oh, you know. Yeah. But that's all you have to do. And you know, when you have maid service and room service and, and limousine, somebody to wake you up and, and tell you what time to get down to the lobby to get on the bus or yeah. whatever it is, and then you come home, <laughs> that 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 can take a little while. I, I got it is like, wait a minute. Couldn't we just get room service here? <laughs> I had to cook some eggs and make my own bed. And that's, yeah, that's when it's a mess. And I don't have a check coming in for it any, you know, yeah. either. Yeah. You know. I got to talk to um, the, the drummer from Def Leppard. And he was telling me, man, I, and these guys have all got personal assistants. You know, the, when he was 16, he was on a world tour opening up for ACDC. And that has been his life since he was 16. Def Leppard. You know, reality doesn't exist anymore. You don't have that reality. You don't know how to deal with day-to-day -day shit, you know? Yeah. So that's got to be another level again. But, um... And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak very well to most other people. I, I've, you know... I, I think uh, I've always been okay to live in the real world. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. I've had some difficulties with a few things, but yeah. Uh, I, I know when I came when I started to do this, right, and it was like you know, in the mid '70s, rock and roll was was happening, and people were nuts. Yeah, and you'd go on the road, you know, with you know a band or or whatever, and and people would have personal assistants. And they'd get them in and out of their room, and they'd get their drugs for them, and yeah. put them on a plane. And you know, I was never, <laughs> I never right. had the personal assistant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but with, I mean, what a time! I mean, I look at it now, and it's just so different. Oh yeah, it sure so is. So different. Yeah, it sure I, is. When I was touring, I was, <laughs> I was touring Russia, of all places, and it just wasn't enjoyable. So, but I would read all these autobiographies of the Zed, Le the Led Zeppelin stuff, and you know, all the great bands and what they did. And I used to think, God, I am so not rock and roll. Yeah. I'm not doing any of, any of this cool shit, you know? Well, very just, few people were. No. Yeah. You know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. It, you know, man, it's, it's, it's all about music and it's, it's always about what's, what, what happens on the stage when you get on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have, I know you, you, on True Tone, you talk about hanging with Clapton. I mean, what was that like? I mean, and you said you you learned all these stuff, so you were obviously a massive fan. To sit down and hang with him in the studio, it was a neat experience. Really, it yeah. was in a way. You know, I was hoping for much more. Right. <laughs> but uh, because uh, you know, I I did. He was probably my main man when I started to play. Mm -hmm. There was something about his playing that just spoke to me. Yeah. And. Uh, so when I was working with Christine McVie, it, 
we had Christine had invited me to write an album with her and help her put a band together. Yeah. Which was like, what a, you know, when she asked me that, I, I kind of went, let me check my calendar, see if I can make that happen, <laughs> sweetheart, you know. Right. Can I get back to yeah. you? Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. So we, uh, we worked really hard. We wrote a bunch of songs together. Mm-hmm. And what an amazing woman and cool lady and always loved her singing were you a songwriter at that point i was trying to figure out how to be a songwriter and 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 that's through working with bob and then i worked with mick i went to africa with him to make this record and i made it this demo and one night my wife and i went to christine's house she was always this very friendly social person yeah she invited us over and i played her my demo that i had been working on and she said this is great you know, she said, you ought, you ought to have a record deal. And I said, yeah, I think so. You know? <laughs> she said, I, I'd like to put a background part on that one song. That's wow. a hit song there. And, wow. Well, can I sing some backups on it? And, I, and I'm like, Christine McVie wants to sing backgrounds on my demo. And I said, of, of course you can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it started there, and then she invited me to write with her. And so, you know, what, a, what an opportunity. Wow. So we anyhow we we got together and we wrote a bunch of songs. Now I got to stop you there because a lot of people say, "Oh, we well, just wrote a bunch of songs." How does one start to write with with McPhee? I mean, what was? Do you remember like the first day? Were you, were you nervous? Were you thinking, oh, "Where do we even start?" Did you have ideas or? That's a good question. I'm trying to remember how we started. No, I think uh, there was probably was she- a lot of beverages involved right there's a lot of lubrication yeah and this is totally out of my life i don't do anything anymore for many many years but you know we were actually we had established a really uh pretty cool friendship Mm -hmm. we used to hang out with christine and her then boyfriend yeah and we we were hanging we we had fun together right we were friends and we and it was very comfortable Mm -hmm. so and we, Christine had a music room, and, you know, she'd sit at the piano. And to be quite honest with you, uh, she, you know, she's like just one of these, like, not a technical person. Right. And I'm a pretty good technical person. So I kind of fell into that role initially as, the first, I went out and bought a little cassette player. Easy to, you know, like, record. Boom. Mm-hmm. We're recording. In a box of cassettes. Yeah. And I brought a guitar over. We sat in her music room, and I would just make sure the tape was running. And sometimes go like, wait a minute, you know what? There was this thing you did about a half an hour ago. Let's see if we can find it. When you went like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what if we did something with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That's I, I think the first song we wrote was a song called The Challenge. She had sort of the beginnings of that out. And we did that like that. Right. And then uh, we had one hit off the record, big hit. And that was, you know, she had this piece. She was sitting there. And it was total, it was Christine McVie all the way. You know, it was, uh, she had this. And she was going, da 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 
And I went, that's Christine McVie hit song material right there. Wow. And I just kind of went, let's put that in a box. Yep. What else, where are we going to go? And then there was another piece of music she had. It was just, she would have been playing it. And I'm mostly sitting there running the tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And it was this... Uh, Uh, what happened next? Right? Right. It was this yeah. little kind of classical piano music she was yep. playing. And that was just a piece. And I, and I, so I went, like, we could put those pieces together. Yeah. And so I said, let's use that as an intro. And I said, let's go... <laughs> right? Yeah, yep. You're lifting me up. Yep. Never wow. let me down. And then I came up with the chorus. It yep. was just like, yeah, and it was kind of, by that time, it was like, and the chorus has got to go here. And we're done, you know. <laughs> I got love, I got some man whose love's got a hold on me. Wow. You know, it was really just, you know, I think writing music like that is 95% is showing up. Yeah. You yeah. just got to, if you're writing with somebody, the both, first you both show up. Mm -hmm. And then you got to get over the sort of, Fear of going like I got this idea, <laughs> right? And it goes like this. Yeah, you know. Oh, is that good? I don't know. I mean, is that what do you what do you think of that? Is it stupid or is it good? You know. Right. And so, and you just got to screw with it. Yeah. And yeah. kind of work. Just kind of. I always think writing is like getting a wheel turning. Mm. And. Uh, that's what her and I did. It wasn't like we, oh, so we wrote these songs. What we did is we took probably two or three months yeah. of many late nights, you know, long late nights. And once the wheels started turning, it was just kind of like, let's keep this thing turning. You know, we just kept coming up with new ideas. Yeah, yeah. And man, we brought in a, you know, at that point, a, the, the new Marvel Lynn drum machine. And, right. You know, I kind of learned how to do a few beats and we had a, Porta Studio four track. Wow. We started whipping everything together and yep. parting stuff and coming up with. And mostly, you know, you ju you just kind of once you get the lubricate, you know, the lubricant for the wheel going, mm -hmm. it, it just starts to happen. That and some chemistry. Yeah, you know. Wait, did you know when you guys finished that song that oh, this is this is something? We sure did with God of Hold'em. So, yeah. As soon as I heard her play the verse, yeah. I went, "That's a hit song." All we have to do is like figure out a chorus for it. Yeah. And that little piece, you know, you have, that could be the bridge. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was another one we wrote called uh, Love Will Show Us How that, mm -hmm. that I thought was going to be a huge hit. It, yeah. it was a hit. Yeah. Just not huge. Not, not really. And when, when these songs hit, how did that feel? Fucking great. <laughs> is it just like, yeah. it just mind-blowing, just... Wow, I I was part of this. I did this. Well, yeah, it's it's you know for me at that point it was uh, that was in '83, so I don't know. I started playing in '67. Yeah. And as a writer, you know, I was kind of figure, trying to figure out how to be a writer, but to 
Yeah, when you hear your stuff on the radio, it's quite a, uh, uh, you know, that's quite gratifying. That, that's, a, that's a real pat on the back from yeah. the world. And go, right. yeah, man, you're, you did good. And that's when shit paid, too, Your Shit's right? on the radio. Yeah, that's when shit paid, too. <laughs> you actually got royalty checks. And that was fun, too, yeah. Because I remember one day I went down to my mailbox and I got this, pulled this check out of it. Yeah. And I like went, I'm going to have to get like an, an accountant. Wow. Somebody tell me what to do with this. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is nice. Yeah. guys well there you go that was uh, Todd Sharp make sure you go to his website toddsharpamps.com check out his gear and uh, we'll have part two of uh, this hang with Todd Sharp in the next maybe next week or the next coming weeks we'll see how we go but yeah they're definitely going to get that to you because he hasn't started talking about the amplifiers yet we need to get into that so um Thank you again, Todd Sharp. Really appreciate it. Thank you for all the support, everyone out there. Uh, spread the word. Share it around. Tag us. Tweet us. Whatever you, else you do out there in social media land. I don't know. Uh, remember, Guitar Wank, episode 71, coming up this Monday. And uh, I think we have more of John Sir. So that'll be really great. So um, a lot of amp stuff happening at the moment. So uh, have a fantastic weekend. Be safe. Look after each other, and we'll see you on next Guitar Wank.